Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. And now, Monitor brings you Meet the Press, the prize-winning interview program which is produced by Lawrence Spivak. Ready for the unrehearsed conference are four of America's top reporters to talk with Dr. Henry Heald, president of the Ford Foundation. Now, here is the moderator of Meet the Press, Ned Brooks. On this Christmas day, when the spirit of giving is high in the thoughts of everyone, Meet the Press interviews Dr. Henry Heald, the head of a great philanthropic organization. The Ford Foundation was started by Henry Ford in 1936. Since then, it has given away more than a billion and a quarter dollars. The bulk of its expenditures has been in the field of education, and its broad aim is to encourage projects in the public welfare throughout the world. Dr. Heal has won wide recognition as an educator in business and in government. He is an engineer who became head of Illinois Institute of Technology, then president of New York University. After 30 years as an educator, he became president of the Ford Foundation in 1956. He recently served as chairman of a committee which prepared for Governor Nelson Rockefeller a report on higher education in New York State. And I will start the questions with Mr. Spivak. Dr. Heald, a great many people envy you your job. They say all you have to do is to give money away. Now, as president of NYU, you raise millions of dollars, and as president of the Ford Foundation, you've given millions away. Which do you find easier? Well, that's a question that I'm frequently asked, Mr. Spivak. Uh, when I was raising money, I thought it was uh, an extremely difficult task. Uh, I thought it must be very easy if all you had to do was to give it away. But when I turned around, on, got around on the other side of the table and found out that I had to give money away, uh, that seemed to me even more difficult than raising money. At least when, you, uh, when you're raising money, uh, you do not have to be concerned whether your prospect is spending his money in the best possible way or not. You know he is because you're asking him for something you believe in. Well, what do you find some of your major problems, though, in giving money away? Well, of course, the, the major problem that a, uh, a foundation has in giving money away is the, is the basic responsibility that we have to use every dollar as wisely and as effectively in the public good as it is possible to do. Therefore, we're, uh, we're always a little dissatisfied with ourselves because we can never be quite sure uh, that we have made the right choices. Uh, and frequently, it takes a long time to find out. As you look back over the past 10 years of the Ford Foundation's giving away of money, what would you say has made the greatest impact? Can you pick one project or two projects? Well, uh, there are, there are numerous projects in which the Ford Foundation has engaged which have made significant impact. I suppose the greatest impact, certainly from a public standpoint at a particular time, was the uh, day along back in 1955 when the Foundation announced that it was going to give $200 million to hospitals and $260 million to private colleges and uh, $100 million to medical schools all on one uh, December, uh, all in one December afternoon. Uh, this uh, this really made news. 
And uh, I happened at that time to be on the other uh, other end. I was at New York University. I received word uh, during the course of this day that New York University was going to get $5 million. I can assure you that nothing more exciting could have happened to me. <laughs> have you had a chance in the last few years to check on what that huge grant of close to $600 million has accomplished? Yes, we've checked as carefully as we as we could, and uh, all of the reports we we get indicate that it uh, it served as an important stimulus to raising salaries in higher education, uh, as an encouragement to the uh, to the hospitals and to the medical schools who who participated. Uh, it, it's difficult to say that uh, uh, these things wouldn't have happened uh, without the grant, but certainly uh, many people tell us that they did facilitate it, and there's a good deal of evidence of that. May I have one more question? Uh, when you make your grants, how much attention do you pay to the danger of controversy, of stirring up real controversy? Well, uh, inevitably there's a, not inevitably, but many times there is possibility of stirring up some controversy in things that a foundation does. Some of its grants uh, uh, lead to that. Uh, we don't make grants for the sake of creating controversy, but if the grant is important, and if it's something that uh, the staff and the trustees of the foundation are convinced should be done, uh, then the grant is made, even though it might be somewhat controversial. Mr. Oakes. Uh, Dr. Hill, I would like to ask you one or two questions about your recent report on New York's higher education, uh, the uh, interest of which I'm sure is, goes beyond the confines of this state. Uh, you said that the people of New York will not stand by and see their young people given less than the best. Now, if this means a massive uh, increase in state aid, which is what uh, was indicated, uh, could you apply this same principle to federal, to federal interest in education, to federal aid also? And if so, in what direction do you believe that the United States government should uh, increase its uh, interest and assistance to education. Well, I think we start from the <clears throat> we, we start from the recognition that education is an important factor in American life, and it's more important today than ever before. It's important. It's an important factor in the world position of America, and because it is such an important factor, and because we are faced with uh, uh, such uh, rapidly increasing expenditures in education. Uh, it becomes a matter of concern not only to state governments but also to the federal government. Uh, and there's no use uh, uh, assuming that it is not going to be of concern to the federal government. I'm sure it is going to be of increasing concern. Now the question is then uh, what's the best way in which the federal government can participate? Uh, we don't want to uh, uh, take away local initiative. We don't want to take away uh, local control to, un to an unreasonable degree. Uh, what we want to do is to find ways and means whereby the federal government can, where necessary and desirable, supplement other sources of support for the improvement of the educational process. Now, have you formed uh, an opinion in your own mind as to the best method of doing this? Is it Should it be through uh, aid to school construction? Should it be through aid to teacher salaries? Should it be both? Well, I think it's relatively un it seems to me relatively unimportant whether you try to aid school construction or aid teachers' salaries. If you can, uh, if you can aid, if you're going to aid the public schools and can uh, and can provide funds to a responsible organization in a way which will not remove from them the incentive of helping themselves, then let them use the funds for whatever they want to, uh, what they, whatever they want to use it for. Let the state determine. Let the state determine. Now, uh, in your report on higher education, it was indicated uh, quite strongly that uh, 
you believed in giving state aid to uh, sectarian colleges as well as to non-sectarian colleges. Uh, I would like to ask you uh, if this is a correct interpretation, and if uh, it is, is it not? would it not be in conflict with the New York State Constitution? Well, it may be in conflict with the Constitution, and no one can tell except by legal interpretation of it, I think. Now, what our committee did say was that it felt that the importance of a balanced system of education, public and private, in other words, the maintenance of strong private institutions and strong public institutions in New York State, where we have a, an especially uh, heavy weight on private education at the present time, was sufficiently important so that some modest state aid should be given to all of the institutions which were performing a standard job of educating uh, uh, young people. Now, isn't this breaking down the dividing line between secular government and, uh, and uh, parochial schools or religious schools? And furthermore, uh, can you draw a line here between this kind of aid to uh, higher education, institutions of higher education, and uh, secondary and oh, elementary? I think, you can very <clears throat> I think you can very easily draw a line if, you, if, you, if you're uh, interested in drawing that line between, between the two. The problem is quite different. Just in New York State, for example, the state supports in a reasonably generous fashion its public schools. Its support of higher education has been uh, uh, very uh, niggardly, uh, relatively speaking, compared to the other states of the Union. Therefore, we have the, the, the choice of spending all of our money in uh, support of uh, new public higher education or supporting some of the existing institutions which have been doing the job. We also have another thing in New York, which no other state has, and that is a Board of Regents, which determines what kind of degrees can be offered by every institution in each curriculum uh, that the and approves each curriculum that the institution offers. This is a protection against uh, these, uh, these uh, programs becoming programs in uh, religious education or anything of that sort. The Board of Regents has full power to approve or disapprove institutions to whom the grants would be made. Ms. Ferrer. Dr. Hewald, I'd like to go back. You said something about New York State supporting its uh, schools far better than higher education. I recall a speech that you made in 1959 in which you said that New York, the richest city in the world, had a school system which was riddled with political haymaking, horse trading, strangled by mountains of paperwork, and that the city lacked a first-class system because the people didn't want it badly enough. Now, why and what can be done by other major cities, as well as New York, to improve their schools? Yeah, well, in that particular speech, I was addressing myself to the problems of administration of the school system in New York City. I wasn't uh, uh, talking about uh, a shortage of money or a surplus of money, although uh, uh, compared to many cities, New York schools have fairly adequate sums of money. Uh, but the problem is not the amount of what, at that particular time, was not the amount of money, but the machinery of administration. Uh, uh, the, the way in which the Board of Education was appointed, the way in which it uh, discharges its responsibilities, the relationship of the Board of Education to the administrative officers of the school system, and a proper and effective delineation of the functions so that the school system could work like a modern and efficient organization. Yes, but when you say that the city didn't have a first-class system, you're not, are you referring only to administration? No, I'm not referring only to administration because the effect of, of a poor administration unfortunately goes all the way from the top to the bottom and it usually results in uh, 
in many features of a school system which are not nearly as good as they could be. Well, we know that since the Sputnik of 57, the uh, public has been more concerned about the schools than ever before and that there are many cities and communities all over the country that feel that their children are not getting the education that they should be getting. Do you agree with this or don't you? Uh, yes, yes. I think that uh, in many cases we have not done as good a job in education as we should have, <clears throat> should have been doing. Fortunately, there is a renewed interest. There is an awareness on the part of the public of the importance of the fundamentals of education and of the importance of carrying each uh, uh, young person along as far as he can, uh, as he can go within his own capabilities. Mr. Uh, McGee, excuse me. Mr. McGee. Uh, Dr. Heald, the foundation money, most of it goes for education with Health Next and then social welfare programs. Uh, these are areas in which the government also has extensive programs. Do you ever feel in any way that you're competing with the government? Well, we're not competing with the government, but uh, the government does today a good many things which foundations may have done 50 years ago or, 20 year, or even 25 years ago because the nature of modern society is such that uh, some of these things which you might lump in the whole social security basket, for example, uh, are functions of government and are now accepted as such. Uh, however, the foundation has uh, plenty of opportunities left, uh, many of which uh, uh, can sometimes be in a pioneering form or sometimes be in a form to show the way to new developments ahead. Mm -hmm. Well, in a speech you made to the uh, Economic Club in Detroit, I think in 1957, you were quoted as saying, Personally, I wish it were possible for private philanthropy to do more and government less. But now, the government is responsive to the people. I wonder what voice the people have in determining the course that private philanthropy will follow. Well, people have the, uh, uh, the, the private philanthropy has certain advantages and certain disadvantages. Could you cite some of these, sir? Look, look at that. Private the, the principal asset which private philanthropy had, it has is flexibility. It has, the, it has the ability to pioneer, if it's smart, if we can find out what pioneering is in a particular area. It can be flexible. It can move uh, relatively quickly in and out of a field. Uh, it's uh, sometimes uh, influential in showing the way, uh, in, uh, in experimenting, in undertaking uh, some of the controversial questions, which government perhaps in itself would not at any particular time undertake. Uh, there is a role for both. If I may ask one more question, you have also in the foundation programs of foreign aid, and I think you've said that um, a foundation can pioneer ahead of public opinion. Yes. At that time, you were speaking of domestic programs. I wonder if the foundation would pioneer ahead of public opinion in any of its foreign aid programs with the program of example of aid to Cuba or something like that. Well, uh, I think an American foundation would be foolish to, uh, to go contrary to the opinion of its government. Uh, in its, as represented on a, in a foreign situation. In other words, certainly uh, there would be no aid offered to a country of that kind unless it was government policy to do so. Mr. Spivak. Dr. Hill, New York City is uh, one of the richest cities in this, in this country and one of the richest in the, in the world. And I believe it has the largest public school system. How do you rank it uh, in terms of quality? I think that's a very difficult thing to do, Mr. Spivak, to rank a school system on a quality basis. Uh, this is like ranking, ranking colleges and universities. Well, is it good or bad? Uh, well, is it fair? Uh, the trouble is it isn't good enough. 
it's uh, it's lots better than some, and, uh, and not as good as it ought to be for the caliber of the city that it's in. I think it's making some. I think there are some improvements underway. Now you made a report. Has anything happened to your report? I think it was made when 57, 58. Did anybody do anything about that? There have been some things done about it. Yes, there have been some uh, some uh, attempts to uh, take advantage of some of the suggestions made in that report and in other reports dealing with the same general subject. This dealt with the school building problem, I think you will recall. What, what you, uh, I ran across a statement of yours in which you said the mayor of New York is a busy man, but by a few simple steps he could demonstrate that a first-class school system is a must for New York. Uh, what what were you were talking about? Were you saying then that Mayor Wagner could remedy the situation if he really wanted to? The mayor appoints the members of the Board of Education. And the mayor, by and large, uh, uh, has the influence to determine how the Board of Education shall function. Uh, this is where it all began. In, in short, if our school system isn't good enough, the, the blame does uh, belong with the mayor of the city. That's where the responsibility uh, that's where That's where it all starts. Well, this possibility heads up. Mr. Oak. Well, on this question, Dr. Hill, uh, are we, so far as education in the United States goes, are we really in pursuit of excellence or, or more in pursuit of quantity? Uh, do you think that many young people ought not to be in college, ought not to be going to college who are there, that, who could be doing, perhaps spending their time in better ways? Well, it's, <clears throat> it's always popular to say there are a great many people in college who ought not to go. And it is true there are some people in college who ought not to go, and there are some people in the wrong colleges at the wrong levels. But nevertheless, uh, I think America has, uh, has pretty well decided that it is not going to deny educational opportunity to substantial numbers, any substantial numbers of its young people who have the capacity to, uh, uh, to get it. Therefore, uh, these facilities that we're talking about when we talk about numbers are going to have to be provided and they're going to be provided in one way or another. I might not be concerned about whether your son goes to college or not, but believe me, I want mine to go, you see. And uh, this is a pretty widespread American custom. Now, we have a diversity of types of education, junior colleges, community colleges, technical institutions, and uh, four-year colleges, and so on. And this is one of the strengths of American education, is that we can have a great lot of different varieties of education. Hopefully, we get the people in the right places. I, I would like to move uh, to uh, the broader question of the Ford Foundation for just, just mm -hmm. a moment. I'd like to ask you if there is not a potential danger in the uncontrolled use of uh, such vast sums as any large foundation has without any public, uh, public control uh, whatsoever in regard to it. Doesn't this simply depend on the judgment of, uh, of a board? Well, let me... Let me uh... Uh, say first that I think the greatest protection that the public has about what a foundation does is a full and complete disclosure of the foundation's activities on its part. In other words, public reporting. We believe, I believe, that every foundation ought to make a full report of every grant it makes, tell how its uh, money is spent, and let the public judge if the, uh, if the uh, results are poor or against the public interest, the foundation will soon hear about it. And even though there may not be a vote taken, something will quickly happen. Ms. Pereira. Dr. Hill, in the last four years, you've headed three major commissions in this state to study varying school and higher education needs. What could do committee reports do? Well, that's a good question. Uh, it's one that uh, many of us uh, sometimes uh, wonder about. Uh, and I suppose that uh, uh, we always hope 
uh, that committee reports will result in some uh, important improvements. Do Sometimes they? they do. Sometimes they do. I should say that of the two that I've had something to do with, of the first two, uh, first one, uh, the results were pretty well put into uh, put into effect. The second one, uh, to a minor degree. The third one is still unknown. But in in the foundation business, we get a little uh, skeptical about uh, supporting uh, uh, study. I'd just like to ask you one question about the Ford Foundation. Uh, you're accused by some American educators of controlling American education through your grants. Uh, it's also said by others that you can't get a Ford grant. Somewhere between these, I'm sure, lies the truth. But uh, what are your criteria for grants? How do you get a Ford Foundation grant? Well, uh, there's no simple answer to that question as to how you get a Ford Foundation grant. The, the, the foundation has fields of interest. For instance, it has, it's, it's interested in what we call international training and research because we think it is important that Americans know more about sections of the world which we customarily know very little about. Uh, we've made a lot of grants in that area, and we've made them to the institutions which were doing something about training people for this kind of work. We haven't made them to institutions which weren't. This, by and large, is how the grants are made. We have about three minutes. Mr. McGee, I'd like to return to this question of foreign aid, Dr. Heald. Um, what advantage do you feel that a foundation has in undertaking a project in a foreign country that the government does not have? Well, there are some very, very, uh, very substantial advantages. Besides, even besides the regular ones of flexibility and ability and uh, the capacity to act uh, uh, with a minimum of, uh, of time and red tape, one is that uh, uh, in some of the countries of the world, a private foundation is more welcome than another government. They're not as skeptical. Some of the new, newly independent countries are not nearly as. Uh, concerned about a private foundation as they are about another government. And by and large, the Ford Foundation in its overseas activities has developed the confidence of the countries in which it works. Well, sir, are these programs coordinated with the State Department? Well, they're, uh, the State Department knows everything we're doing, and uh, we know everything they're doing, but they don't tell us what to do. Mr. Spivak. Dr. Hill, one of the most controversial aspects of your report to uh, Governor Rockefeller was on the charging... $300 tuition at the state and city colleges. Uh, that, the municipal colleges of this city have been free of tuition, I think, for 113 years. Uh, don't you think, really, that uh, there ought to be more free colleges rather than less? No. I think public higher education is, uh, is to be encouraged because it makes available higher education to people of low, relatively low economic, uh, relatively low incomes. This is the purpose of public higher education. But this does not mean that they have to be absolutely free. And as a matter of fact, there are no free, free, completely free universities, state universities that I know of in this country. Now, I don't care whether the figure is $300 or whether it's $100 or whatever it may be. It isn't an efficient and economical use of the limited resources that we have for higher education to provide free tuition for everybody uh, who is able to pay. Well, now, most children up to, uh, get 12 years of free education, elementary and high schools. Now, why is that all right, and why should they be made to pay for college education? Well, we have, we have to draw the line on the amount of, on, the, on all of these good things that we want to do. Somewhere they have to be, they have to be paid for. Uh, it seems to me that in higher education, although theoretically you may argue you'd like to do this on a national basis, practically you haven't got enough resources available 
yet to do it. Well, since national security is involved in this question of education altogether, why shouldn't there be free education for everybody, well, all the way up? I don't think that I don't think national security has anything particular to do with this problem. If we have a system of education which does not prevent bright boys and girls from going to college, that's all we need, and that's the best that national that national security can ask for. I think at that point I'll have to interrupt. I'm sorry, but I see that our time is up. Our thanks to Dr. Henry Heald and to the members of the panel, Fred Heckinger of the New York Times, Miss Terry Ferrer of the New York Herald Tribune, Frank McGee of NBC News, and Mr. Lawrence Vivac. The guests on Meet the Press next week will be General E.R. Casada, administrator of the Federal Aviation Agency. Meet the Press, which is celebrating its 16th anniversary on the air, is produced by Lawrence Spivak. And now we'd like you to hear a startling comparison. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.